another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Quiet! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, and this is episode 16 of the podcast for November 2015. This month I decided to do something very different. I decided to do a a monthly discussion on the books from The Dark Crystal, and we're going to start off with The Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume 1. And I organized a chat a couple of weeks ago with a couple of guests, and we uh, ended up chatting for longer than what I predicted that we'd chat about uh, the first volume of the story. So this is going to be the first part of volume one, and then the second half of the discussion of volume one of the Dark Crystal Creation Myths uh, will come out next month. So stay tuned, and um, now let's go to the Podling Village and chat all about the Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume 1. This episode we're going to discuss uh, the Dark Crystal Creation Myths, uh, which is the graphic novel that um, IKEA Entertainment uh, released uh, almost, I think, back in uh, 2012. So, um, and we thought we'll do this discussion because volume three just recently came out, uh, about a month or two ago. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, there's a lot I think to discuss, uh, within the volume. And, um, I think, I guess introductions in order. My name's Philip Mitchell and I'm the host of, uh, Trial by Stone. And, um, I think I'd like to go, um, around a table just to introduce who everyone is. Um, I'll start with you, um, Ethan, um, so welcome to the show, Ethan. Thanks, Philip. Great to be here. And um, I want to know, like, um, I, I guess you know, before we, you know, quickly before we start discussing about creation myths, I thought I might as well just, you know, get, get to know everyone um, for the discussion. And I know, Ethan, uh, you've been working on your own kind of um, dark crystal uh, fan fiction, or sort of, you know, its own universe, essentially called um, Shadow House Five. Um, h- h- how did that uh, came all about to sort of develop it? Um, Ethan. Uh, yeah, I am working on Shadow House Five, eh, off and on. Um, but uh, it, yeah, it's going to be really neat. Uh, it's going to be a a web serial uh, next year. Yeah. Um, probably the same time as uh, Joseph's uh, Shadows of the Dark Crystal. Yeah. Um, it is going to be its uh, yeah, its own little universe. So, uh, it it's going to be really fun. Okay, excellent. No, definitely. Um, yeah, looking forward to um. Yeah, to it. And um, uh, next, uh, uh, Nancy, Nancy Gray, uh, thank you for being on the show. Yes, I'm glad to be here. Cool. No, thanks. And um, I know with yourself, you are one of the um, sort of on the, the top list with the uh, with the Dark Crystal um, author quest. Um, so just want to say, yeah, congratulations mm-hmm. for, you know, yeah, get, getting on the top list um, for, for the contest. And um and I guess uh, for people that haven't, uh, that don't know, uh, there was there, there was a uh, an author quest uh, contest where um, people uh, submitted in entries uh, to win the chance to win uh, win a chance to write a prequel story uh, based on the world of the Dark Crystal. So, um, and Nancy, um, I just actually wanted to know what what was sort of like your synopsis, um, just your basic synopsis of your um, of your story entry uh, that you wrote. Well, uh, basically, I focused on the Sifa clan, the um, seafaring gelflings, and basically the two main characters end up lost at sea, and they're kind of being driven by Ronip um, to find a journal of a gelfling who had discovered that the Skeksis were draw- drawing essence. They end up going... Um, they end up coming back and finding out that the Skeksis have found out that they found the... Um, the journal and have taken their families so basically they go and um they have to go and try and get their families back and that's the basic synopsis of the story yeah 
Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, I guess for anyone interested, um, you can actually purchase, um, the sort of, um, short stories that came out. Um, uh, I think sometime it came out last year, but it's called Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal Author Quest and includes stories from, uh, Vinny, Greg, Nancy, um, Esther, and, and also, um, another guest that we have on the show, uh, uh, the winner of the author quest, um, and also, uh, the, the author of the upcoming Shadows of the Dark Crystal, uh, uh, J.M. Lee. Uh, so, yeah, Joseph, just thanks for being on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And um, yeah, just... You guys can call me Joe, too. That's fine. Okay, yeah, yeah. So many different <laughs> names. It's kind of awkward sometimes. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll call you Joe in that case, yeah. And, um, yeah, I just want to say, Joe, I just want to, yeah, congratulate you just, um, yeah, with, with Shadows of the Dark Crystal that it um, very recently sort of got its first, you know, bit of you know publicity with the with the upcoming book with pre-orders now now available so which is very exciting so yeah thank you and of course uh we've got um uh douglas on the show i just want to say yeah thanks for uh being on the show doug absolutely um again feel free to call me fish as well that's my nickname but uh long time fans of the dark crystal been listening to your show for a while so certainly appreciate the invite looking forward to this conversation Cool, cool. No worries, yeah. And of course, uh, uh, Hab, always, Bland, always have trouble pronouncing <laughs> that name. Habibabad. No, Habibabad? Habibabad is how Habibibad. I, 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 I pronounce <laughs> it, yeah. Bland Garrett, yeah. Bland Garrett, of course, yes. Um, so yeah, just want to say, yeah, thanks for being on the show, Bland. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And I'll, and I guess, you know, for people that haven't, you know, that have been listening to the podcast for the first time, um, I interviewed Bland uh, a couple episodes ago, so we chatted a bit about um, how the Habibabad.com, uh, the Dark Crystal fan site, sort of came to be and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's worth a listen. And um, I guess uh, last but not least is um, Andrew Judy. Um, just want to say, yeah, th- thank you for being on the show and, and, and actually just, yeah, wanted to know what, what yeah, what, what do you do and all that. Um, well, I was in the author quest as well. I finished in the top 25. Um, oh, yeah, so. so I was one of the editor's choices, but not the top five. Uh, okay, um, yeah. So c- yeah. major kudos <laughs> to Joe and Nancy, because you guys yeah. rock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I just want to say it, Joe. Uh, yeah, thanks for, yeah, you know, recommending, um, yeah, Andrea and, and I think also Nancy um, onto the show. Um, so lots to... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Gotta have some writers. I, I assume people who did the author quest were so into research, and I know that we were talking about doing this discussion, and I was just thinking, who would know a lot about creation myths and yeah. would know <laughs> all of the research books possible? Yeah. So. All right. So I guess um, let's start the chat, and um, let's uh, start off with I guess you know we'll just we'll just go through each chapter and each story and sort of go from there and see see where where it takes us essentially i guess you know we'll start from the start which is the the first chapter chapter one a tale well told and um i guess you know this is really the chapter that sort of this storyteller is about to tell the tale of how thra came to be and just yeah just you know from the beginning essentially of of thra and um while i was reading the you know, revisiting this book, I've, I've read it countless times, but, um, I guess what, what's interesting is, um, based on the first volume, we, we don't know who the, um, who the storyteller is, and we won't go into the identity of that too much, you know, to further installments. Um, but I think what was, um, interesting is I was, I guess in a way is who is the storyteller talking to? Cause I mean, fr- from some of the dialogue, he's, you know, he's telling someone to sit and, telling someone to, you know, you will promise a tale, sort of like an, an exchange, um, you know, for payment for a story or that sort of thing. So I'm curious if, if that's sort of meant to be more of a, is this actually just talking to, to, to us as the reader or uh, if there's like a different interpretation where he's you know, talking to someone else that we just don't see. Um, just wanted to know, yeah, your thoughts to start off with, Joe. You know, for me, when I was reading this, one of the things I really like about the creation myths is that, in a way, I mean, this is the mythology of Thra, right? Like, this is a almost a subjective interpretation, even though it's part of the canon and it was, you know, orchestrated by Brian Froud, who was obviously indispensable in working on the Dark Crystal film. Um, in a way, the creation myths, to me, read almost as if 
you know, these are just the legends that people would tell. So in a way, the storyteller is is acting as an introduction to these short tales. So for me, I would say that the the reader is absolutely who is being you know, uh, addressed through the, the written narration here. Um, I guess that's that's my interpretation. It's just a it's a nice way of getting you into the story and of putting the reader into the position of, of immersion into you know these series of short shorts that are going to be told. I kind of as I was getting into it, I was I was kind of reluctant to read these because you know with me building the website, I really focused on the mythology of all of this and the world of the dark crystal and all of, you know, everything, all the background stories of everything. So I was a little hesitant at first, but I'd have to say that I really did enjoy this. Like once I got into the story, it just, I was, I I found myself smiling and I was like really happy and I was all curled up on my couch and it was a rainy day and I had my dogs next to me and, and it was just kind of neat because once I finished the story, I was like, you know, I really enjoyed that. And I, and I walked outside and there was actually a double rainbow because like the sun had come out from the rain. <laughs> so it was like the perfect day for reading it. But it's it's like it's yeah, I kind of thought of it as you have it's like a Greek play where it's telling this mythological story. Yeah, absolutely. Like the prologue. Like, yeah, like the storyteller is there mm-hmm. addressing the audience and it's like, OK, everyone, here we are. And then you kind of have these interludes in between where kind of the chorus comes in and you've got like these other little kind of fairy tales kind of thrown in between like the wing creation and and like the poem and all that. It, I, I really liked the the setup of this. It was just kind of like a Greek play, like a dramatic presentation of it. Yeah, I think that's it definitely great... harkens mm-hmm. back towards like oral storytelling and in the history of that with exactly like you were saying with the choral and the sort of bringing the reader in directly by, you know, being like, hey, you, we're going to have story time now. Yeah, right. And there's a lot of focus on storytelling just within the Gelflings and the story itself and all these different songs that that come to be within the world. And I really enjoyed all of that, how they touched in on all of that and kind of. I, it, it was kind of like you have the story and you have all the creatures and everything, but they kind of gave the whole world itself a soul, you know, like its own Gaia. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of hard to to describe. <laughs> and I and no, I kind of like how right they on. even I... yeah they even go into like the creation of the three suns and how like the cosmos just kind of like this fire formed and the three suns formed and then it was like they don't really say that it's like this cosmic power and gravitational pull, but then like the world was created. So it's like, did these three suns, did they kind of speed the creation of Thra because of the focus of the three gravitational pulls into one? And then the heart of the crystal, it's, I guess that's what it is. There's like this heart of the crystal is kind of kind of comes forth within the storytelling of it. I guess. Yeah. I mean, the, the crystal is really, um, yeah, the, the beating heart of Thra. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm just like, just checking it. Yeah. Like I'm even reading it a little bit or just looking at the visuals and just, you know, I just think, oh, wouldn't it be great if it was like some like stage play, you know, it would be such a great way to start off the story, you know? <laughs> so I guess we'll go to, yeah, with, with chapter two. Um, well, we've also got Fizzgig. Fizzgig was there, so. Is the who is who is the storyteller? Is it Kira? Is it someone that just happens to have a pet fizz gig? Yeah, or Olgra, you know. Yeah, it's like um, yeah, very very unknown at this stage. Yeah. Or is it or, or is it Ronip? It, it could be Ronip. Who knows? I'm thinking. Isn't the whole story supposed to be pretty much told by this particular character? It seems to me uh, if it were Ronip. He would portray himself a little bit less um, badly. True, yeah. I don't know, though, exactly who the the storyteller is, how long ago. The problem is, that's one of the problems with just doing the one book. But, you know, I'm assuming this goes through when the Skeksis had the, um, well, the Skeksis and the Urub came to be. So it had to be someone from after that time. It makes me think it could be Kira or perhaps uh, even like um, 
if it was before that happened, before the other great conjunction, it could even be an ancestor of Kira. Yeah, after the appearance of the film. That's what I used to think, yeah. Just a theory about it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, and um, and I think, like, even um, the, the artwork from, I'm just trying to think, the illustrator, uh, Alex, who did the, um, the illustrations, um, which has a nice kind of very old-school sort of colour, sort of those fairy tale stories from the old days, it's sort of that kind of style that I recall. I, I read some something about that, uh, which I thought was, yeah, pretty neat. So in, in chapter two, I guess the, th- the first thing that I've really been thinking of lately is to do with the songs that are part of the Dark Crystal. And I guess the first thing I always thought of is um, at the start of the uh, chapter uh, chapter two, you know, at first there was silence and then the song began. And I, I guess it's kind of hard, I guess, in a comic, you know, or in a graphic novel, it's like, I wonder what this song would sound like. Whether it's like from the Crystal or the Earthskex or... Um, you know, I think those two were sort of the two examples. And it made me think, um, at least a month or so ago, whether the song that Kira sings in The Dark Crystal has any kind of somewhat connection to either the, the song of Thra or the song of the Erskex or something like that. So, um, yeah, that, that was just my, my thinking about, you know, I, and I think that would have been thinking like if there was ever, <laughs> if I ever did like create a motion comic for it, just to have that audio <laughs> representation would be pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, I have to, can I, I'm going to jump in there, Phil, because I did a lot of thinking about this song uh, as we talked a little bit prior to this, but, and uh, I started trying to like, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like, and I don't know how to pronounce it, is it Gear, Jeer, the Gelfling that goes on the sea travel? I think it's I Gear. Think it's, I think it's Gear. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking gear, like said. a hard G, yeah. Sounds about right. Sure. All right, so, yeah, his his travels to follow this song, right, and it kind of reminded me of of what you were talking about with Kyrus. Like, is this song just so deeply, you know, ingrained into Thra that this is the song of Thra? But then when he gets there, you know, he finds out, oh, this is the song that's uh, being sung by an Erskek to his former home kind of thing, and it was just very interesting. So I, I, I was just... Didn't know where, where to go with it after that. I was like, well, I don't know whose song it is. I mean, I like the idea. That was one thing that was interesting to me is like how all of this came about through song. Uh, like everything had its birth and rebirth and whatnot through a song. And uh, I, I just like to think of the song of Thra as the, <laughs> in the opening theme to the movie. I mean, it's going to get any better <laughs> song than that, you know? Yeah. That's actually, yeah, that's actually a pretty good, yeah, theory. If, um, yeah, if the theme song for the Dark Crystal is indeed <laughs> this song <laughs> of Thra. One thing I would um, offer as well is that in terms of kind of the Dark Crystal lore and how people talk about the Dark Crystal, especially the Hensons and the Frouds when they're discussing it on the darkcrystal.com, for example, um, when Gelfling tell stories to one another, those are called songs. And in a lot of ways, I think that song could be a metaphor for a tale or a journey or a story or, you know, something like that. And there's a, it's a huge theme of um, music and harmony and sound in the film as well. I mean, Jen uses the, the pipes to locate the correct crystal shard and they're always being called by the song of Thra. And so I think there's also this lore of crystals and how crystals in, outside of the dark crystal, how crystals have resonance and frequencies. And so I like to think of the idea that the crystal is the heart of Thra. It has a certain frequency and that is the song of Thra and anything that grows from Thra can, can tune into that and hear that whether or not it's a literal melody, it's definitely a reverberation that, is similar for all creatures of Thra. I guess that's kind of how I was thinking of it, more metaphorically than rather yeah, than, than, like, than a literal interpretation. That's the way I saw it too. It's like not a literal interpretation but, of song, but like a story or just song. that resonance from the crystal that kind of feeds out to everything. Yeah. Song and absolutely. music is very important to the Gelfling though, because, yes, it um, is. Even though this is slightly unrelated in the manga, they talk about how they're always making music all the time. And, you know, it's one of those things that's very central to their culture. So it makes sense that poems and, you know, storytelling would be musical in some way to them. 
and reverberations within the crystal and things like that, it's all interconnected. So it seems like it almost is like a great song, or at least that's the way I see it. Yeah, and I mean, the podlings are very musically based as well. They're the, the party creatures, so it seems. Any, anytime <laughs> they so show crazy. up, there's always seems to be like a big dance number happening. It's kind of great. <laughs> Uh, and also, you know, don't forget about, about the mystics as well. Um, yeah, we're mm-hmm. there humming as well. Yeah. So music is sort of yeah, it is sort of a big a big part of the world of Thra in in some way. Well, that that track in the movie is also called Gelfling Song. So is it Kira's right. song or is it Kira and Jen's? Because Jen also participates with his pipe. Yeah. So and, and they it both could be and they both so know the song, but I guess um they kind of create it together. Yeah. The Gelfling clans sort of yeah, they got wiped out when they were pretty young. So it, it's kind of amazing that, yeah, they still had the ability to be, if it if it is a Gelfling clan, I mean, it would have to be because it's like Kira was with the Podlings. And, yeah, well, Jen, Jen wouldn't know the, any, any kind of a Gelfling clan song. Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't they dream fast before dream that, fast, though? Yeah. So he probably yeah. would have seen it within um, her visions or memories of the past. It might even be well, a podling song or something of that nature. I was going to say, I like to think of like as I was, you know, rabbit trailing these thoughts about gear off in the distance, listening to this Erskak, like he heard the song, right? And so maybe he takes that as he turned away, he takes it back to his clan and the Gelflings and it just like, you know, like uh, populates through his, the clans of the Gelflings and like it's handed down through the years. And then of course you've got the wars where they're all, you know, destroyed and, and it's just somehow handed down to Kira, maybe it's the last song her mom sang to her. I mean, I, you know, we could go for days on, on theories of it, but it's still fun to think about. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's he's drawn to that Erskek song, that resonance. So uh, so what I found interesting is that, uh, that that the crystal felt like a need to change within Thra. So I guess the, would you, would it be safe to say that sort of the crystal kind of was it would have been the crystal that sort of created Orgra overall, or 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 is it some other? Um, I would say so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that I guess, um, which is sort of something I noted that it's in, you know that all objects are sort of uh, living beings in in one way or another. Um, so I mean, the crystal sort of yeah. It says know, it says the crystal felt their longing and it answered their pleas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Um, I guess it sort of had a had a presence of um, uh, needing to create a n- new life, um, you know, besides just um, the stones and and the forests and all that. So then, uh, then Olga, you know, came to existence, and um, yeah, it's interesting that yeah, you know, she, uh, you know, coming through. I mean, she. I mean, she is really uh, Olga is really essentially sort of the mother Earth of uh Thra and it's sort of the way I sort of interpreted you know, even like throughout the film that she was sort of like the, the mother of, of, of Thra uh essentially and I guess going from that um you know she travels around Thra and um and encounters um lots of things whether you know giving names to plants or trees or, or even uh, the suns as well and um and then I, I guess I, I'm really curious I guess uh she comes across uh, the Galflings, so I'm curious if if the Galflings sort of were sort of cr- therefore created by the crystal as well. So I don't know, just just your thoughts on on that. Um. Well, there were a lot of creatures that were there before Agra, so it could be that the Galflings were already there. Um, one thing about one thing about her creation was that I didn't. I thought that she became grotesque after that great conjunction that she witnessed when she lost her eye. So I didn't think she would be as grotesque for the first. But, yeah. Uh, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but notice in those early drawings of her, she doesn't even have that third eye in the middle of her forehead, but they yeah. do focus on that during that great conjunction that that also kind of burns into her forehead. Mm-hmm. I didn't used to think she was going to be that grotesque either, but from reading the actual book, it, it says that basically, you know, there's, not exactly chaos, but things were disordered. And when when Thra called forth Agra, it's like I kind of get the feeling her grotesque appearance was caused because of the fact things were in disharmony. 
you know, instead of things being beautiful, she, it's like she took over and put everything in harmony and everything, made everything, gave everything names and things of that nature. And when she was born, so to speak, by the crystal, things weren't looking very pretty is kind of what I got from that. Uh, my th just personal theory on Agra is uh, for creation myths, she kind of looks very similar to how she looked in the film is just for uh, familiarity purposes. So you don't lose uh, I think that's a good point. track of who this is. And it does say in World of the Dark Crystal that she, after the first, uh, the arrival of the Urskex, uh, her first growth, quote unquote, was gro uh, burned away, whatever that may mean. So I, I got the impression that she was changed after the arrival of the Urskex as well. See, I always just kind of thought nature is not always beautiful. Sometimes it's kind of grotesque. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. I kind of thought that she uh, was sort of a part of the crystal and just the world itself. And I guess sometimes that looks a little bit grotesque. But I think definitely she was changed by the, by the crystals and the arrivals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked how it showed the roots on her arms, and like that artwork. It, it, it kind of showed her natural connection to the world and nature. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, the, like, the, yeah. the Henson Company has never been afraid to not make every character beautiful. I mean, it's not yeah. their priority. <laughs> and right, I really right. like, she look, like that. Yeah, she looks very sort of tree and earthen-like. You yeah. know, she's not, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. she's not like a tree sprite. She's like a tree stump. Mm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I saw Henson say in an interview one time about how they wanted the actual, you know, world of Thra to be living in its own living thing and moving. And she just like encompasses that for me. I mean, she's, she, I mean, we already know by, you know, some of the pictations of it in the movie and, and the writings that the world itself is alive. And then here she is actually brought, you know, a character brought to life so you can see like, just throw it in your face. Like, I'm telling you, Thra is alive. It's alive and it's living and here yeah. she is. Well, she's like a like a golem. She's like stone and dirt and twigs and everything just kind of sculpted together. And she's like if if the trees and the rocks, like it said, it needed a voice and, and eyes yeah. to see. And, and there she is. It's like she's the avatar of Thra, the personification mm -hmm. of the planet. Right, right. And so, yeah, she, she encounters um, uh, the Gelflings, uh, which, I mean, I have to presume in this timeline that, you know, they are essentially the first generation uh, Galflings, uh, you know, to being, you know, being introduced, uh, to their dream fasting, but also, um, uh, introducing them to the concept of, of death and, um, and that, uh, you know, to, um, uh, I guess, you know, to, even though it's sad, you know, when it comes to, you know, someone passing, but, uh, but to, I guess for the Galflings to remember to always, I guess, to celebrate the life that they had, um, you know, which they, which they do, you know, that, and that night they sang, sang for the bright, brief candle of life and, uh, for the long shadow of death, uh, they sang so they would always remember. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I thought, you know, it was, yeah, just very interesting. Yeah. Just from that timeline perspective. Yeah. Uh, that this is, yeah, essentially the very, uh, first, uh, generation of the, of the Galflings. Well, they they kind of show some of Agra's power there. Like she can control the tree to lower the limb so that the Gelfling can reach the fruit. But then why would the Gelfling need her to do that? None of them have wings right now. No, no. And um, we're definitely trying yeah get get into that with one of the um the short stories that sort of go a little bit into how um the female Gelfling is uh got got their wings um so because I mean it's at this point where sort of Olga knows so much about Thra and it's sort of gotten to a point where it's like, you know, well, where else can I look at for more knowledge? And that's when she, yeah, does decide to look up to the stars and, um, and that it was basically that, that she sort of created a, um, I guess a conjunction, which I sort of described in my notes, sort of a, a beta version of, um, the, uh, of a conjunction to try and, um, figure out when the three sons would, uh, come to pass, you know, become the conjunction uh, for each other. So, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting how, yeah, even with, um, I guess, the limited technology, like later on in the films, uh, 
she gets uh, an observatory that was built uh, by the Erskex that, um, but it's interesting, yeah, even like with this limited technology that, that she used, that she was able to sort of predict change is coming at hand, uh, which I just thought was just kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right, like once she put her focus on the heavens, she could she could see that the the suns were going to come into this this great conjunction, and she knew she could she she could just see in the in the charts that something was going to happen. Um, but to go back on the well, I was just going to say to go back on the dream fasting. The Gelflings taught Agra how to dr- how how to dream fast. So does that mean that a Gelfling can dr- dream fast with any kind of a creature that that has some kind of a sentient? power i don't know because <laughs> in the film all we see is the, the two you know jen and kira they dream fast but i guess in those stories um yeah i guess we always just assumed it would just be yeah but not only do jen and kira dream fast but they also do like a long distance kind of communication when jen um when kira calls out for help and jen kind of wakes up mm-hmm. and he's like kira you need to fight him and she's like jen you know what <laughs> <laughs> The dream fasting is something that I'm going to be exploring in future novels, spoilers, but um, there's not really any rules up up until there aren't rules at this point, but there's definitely, <laughs> there will be. <laughs> someday. Yeah. So no, that was definitely something that I thought was interesting was like, is dream fasting a thra thing? Or since the Gelfling had to kind of share that with Agra, does that mean that it's a Gelfling, you know, thing that they do but then she could learn it could other creatures learn to dream fast or is it because she's agra and you know so that's those are definitely things that i i found really interesting about just sort of the gelfling lore and what innate talents and like magic they have so more on that yeah, yeah. And, and which is also, i guess like um i'll probably go for a bit sidetrack here joe but yeah that's the one thing i noticed like when when they announced the pre-orders that uh, it was listed shows of Dark Crystal number one. So, yeah, I mean, I have to presume that, ho- well, hopefully, yeah, there'll be some more stories uh, uh, <laughs> told in that format. So, yeah. I can't say much now, yeah. but... <laughs> can't say much. <laughs> just keep, keep Well, I'm going to presume just based, yeah. on, based on the number one that, yeah. okay, there must be a number two and, you know, later on, or, you know, more down the track. So, no, we, I mean, which is great. Um, It's great, yeah, for uh, yourself and also the Henson Company to actually you know to 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 do that to create more stories uh because yeah i mean there's essentially almost three thousand years of story to be told like that takes place before the dark crystal um and um yeah just be interesting to see yeah for for certain the uh, the stories to come so that's sort of the end of chapter two and and what's interesting i guess with uh volume one um which i don't think uh, I'm very certain it didn't happen with uh, volumes two or three, but volume one actually contained uh, the short stories uh, of Thra. Uh, so th- this one that's coming up, the the covenants of Thra. I-, I love the image at the end of that chapter with Agra's face in the cosmos. I just wanted to say that real quick. <laughs> I love that. There's no page numbers yeah. in the book, but yeah, there's. Yeah, see, I, I'm looking at the digital version, I think page 25, but I don't know if that's um, inaccurate um, for, you know, for anyone listening in. But it's pretty much the last page before the short story, The Covenants of uh, Thra. But yeah, it is pretty cool. Like, yeah, the overlay of Olga's face and, and the stars. They, they call her Goddess Grotesque in the in the book. Like <laughs> that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was very interesting, yeah, that... um. With the first volume that they incorporated these um short stories which i mean unfortunately i don't uh they didn't get to do with volumes two and three but i mean it's it's a nice you know it's a nice little thing you know to add um towards i guess the mythology um author a lot more and i guess i was very curious about um i guess with the covenants of fra more that you know that it says um an excerpt from the epic poem by felon uh, the elder and for a while, I was trying to think, like, I wonder who this Felon the Elder would be. You know, could it be... At first, I thought it might have been an Erskic, but then I quickly went to DarkCrystal.com, and uh, I actually didn't think about it, but um, all the Ers- Erskics actually, like, have names, uh, uh, you know, with each of the um, 18 characters. So, um, either that or... Um, uh, so, I'm uh, so I'm like, okay, the Erskic, that, that's, that's wrong, because they kind of 
also just rocked up to throw on, you know, they wouldn't. But I guess it could be maybe either a gelfling that might have been told, uh, probably may- maybe, a, I don't know, a gelfling. Um, oh, uh, maybe a gelfling historian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that. That's yeah. And I was just really curious about, um, yeah, who it, who it could be, yeah. Whoever was like some other entity, I don't know, before Olgra, you know, that was there to tell the story. But I think it would, I think it would be safe to assume that it had to be a, a yeah almost like a gelfling historian in some way um yeah, I agree. for sure so yeah Probably some sort of um maybe some sort of oral history about it done by some yeah kind of kind of like a beowulf or something yeah mm. an elder of the yeah. gelfling race or something of that nature and i guess just think about it now because they sort of describe it as an excerpt that um i mean it would be awesome if um you know <laughs> if a um if a full version or like you know a full tale kind of thing uh uh, happens so like that. That's the other thing that I was sort of you know um, interested, I guess, in, in that way. So um, yeah. So I mean, the short story is just basically just about um, yeah, sort of the origin story of Thra and the wars between the sky versus um, ground, and that it was sort of up to Olga to sort of settle things and um, and sort of create the that conjunction so sort of things that we sort of saw in the first two chapters what i was gonna say <laughs> mentioned too is that if you were to read this out loud i mean it definitely has a cadence it has rhythm and it has some it, it's definitely a song that someone would speak out loud so what i like about it is that this is almost in what i was imagining it would be the oral history the way the gelting would tell this story that we just got to kind of see um in the graphic novel this is the way that the gelting would would tell you know you know over the the campfire or whatever in the center of their little village when they're trying to pass down this knowledge the creation myth of how longer came to be and and all of that this might be that oral history um almost a summary of what we got to yeah. see in in pictures in the the first couple chapters i get the feeling that they didn't even have reading and writing until after the uh Erskeks came and gave them culture yeah and i would agree nature. with that so, I mean, it probably was an oral history, at least Absolutely. initially. Yeah. And so it's yeah, kind it, of just nice to see the summary in, like, almost in the words that they would have used to, to pass that on. Yeah, I kind of saw it, saw it as this epic poem was, like, just an explanation of her circular diagram of the sons and how she knew that they were going to come into this great conjunction. And within that, they kind of tell the creation of everything and how the cosmos and the early planet and earthquakes, you know, were happening. And, you know, there's probably meteors falling and all kinds of turmoil. And then everything kind of settled and life started. And then, you know, you have the creation of Algra. It, 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 it just kind of seemed to me like it was kind of this explanation of her main diagram that with all the circles and the triangles all interconnected. Cause I mean, even at the end, it talks about the pattern laid out, the diagram constructed twice, triangle circled arcs, point bars. So they kind of, at the very end, they kind of explain like, this is how this all shaped up to be. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I just really liked, yeah, just the, the short stories, um, uh, from it. So, um, so yeah, from there forth, you know, comes chapter three, the strange and distant stars. So again, you know, cause I'm always thinking timeline wise, I wonder how long this would have taken place. So I'm sure this would probably take place at least a thousand years, uh, later, uh, because it's sort of close to when the first great conjunction sort of approaches, um, essentially. So, and I guess this is part of the story or part of the chapter that, um, that Thra, uh, provided Olga with a son to call her own, um, called uh, Ronip. I think it's pronounced. It's the thing with these, you know, the books here. Hey, you get the words, but it's like I wonder how it's pronounced. And that's how uh, Brian Fad pronounced it. So I would assume since he created that character, that is correct. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's just Ronip. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the, what I was thinking. Well, if you want to go to the well, a thing about the cover of the of the book, this volume one. Well, you actually see, okay, you have Augur on here, and I always thought, well, this is just some creature. Well, it's actually Ronip, it's her son on the cover. And then he always likes to add a little creature there next to everybody. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do they um, go into that in the later books? 
because I had some notes that said something about um, how Ronip was formed, but I don't know if um, if it's in the other books. I don't want to cause any spoilers yes, or anything. Yes, yes, it is. It is a oh, okay. <laughs> his parentage uh, is addressed in uh, future future books. So, spoiler okay. alerts for you know the future volume discussions. Then we'll. <laughs> We'll just avoid that for now. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, which is which is all good. But I, I mean, it, it is actually interesting that um, even though you know some of us have read it all, um, but you got you know some, you know like you saw that you know we only read the first volume, so it's gonna be like I actually be interested, you know, uh, to actually hear your theory, theories about um, you know, to do with Ryan up and um, and what his origins uh, could be. Well, it doesn't actually say in the book that, that it was from Thra. It just says the years had provided Agra with a son, Ranip. So the years could mean anything. Just over time, she mysteriously gave, like, immaculate conception birth. Like, eh. Yeah, and, and technically, yeah, not, it was, yeah, not Thra. It wasn't Thra that provided, yeah, it's just like, like the years. Is it, it kind of like a, um, like a, I don't yeah, want to go into yeah. any kind of religion, but, you know, a Jesus kind of story of a... Immaculate conception. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can, yeah, I can see the, yeah, the, the comparison, yeah, in that regard, yeah, de- well, definitely. Well, if yeah, Thra wanted yeah. a son, and you know, we've just, we've discussed how the personification of Thra is Agra. She could produce a son if that was something she desires. Right. Yeah, you know? and I mean, the so even if the crystal seems kind of finicky. <laughs> yeah, the Gelflings, you know, kind of we kind of think it sprung up too, so. You know, um, it could have been produced that way. But the Erskex do specifically say that he has a father, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not referencing Agra, because my understanding was Agra was not even female. She was kind of male and female. Yeah. Right. Or, or even sexless. Not like not sex. Not even right. being a term to describe her. Yeah. But she does have breasts i mean those are pretty obvious <laughs> yeah yeah see one of my feelings was for ron as far as like his creation goes is like i think the crystal is really good at giving thrall what it needs like for example it brought <clears throat> agra you know into being and while agra this is one and kind of jumping forward in this volume itself but you know ron says a lot of things about agra that like you think you know all but you don't see all mother these types of things so i think like the crystal maybe is preparing Thra, like Thra needs a doubter as the Erskex come to that planet, you know? And I yeah. felt like maybe Ronup was, obviously he's the doubter, he's the great doubter, he doesn't That's trust cool them. Idea. And it's kind of like, it, it's a good thing he doesn't, or else they'd be in a whole another world of trouble. That's true. Yeah, he has, he has extra sight that Agra doesn't, and maybe that's why he was created. Maybe the world just needed to see more. They needed to see the shadow. They needed to, instead of seeing the light, they needed to see the shadow, and he's the the vision of seeing all that. I I guess uh, in the story that that um he's a close friend to uh, uh to to Tavra um you know the the Galfling, and I thought I guess I was curious like we with Ronis so because he is so different to everyone whether well, we know he's like sort of his origin story uh I think but whether like. I guess a story about like him, if he had any like rejections from the Galflings or, or even, I don't know, probably not Olga, but just from the Galflings because he is so different to anyone from the world of Thra. So this must place, you know, later on that, you know, he, he is actually, you know, accepted. Well, it's, it's also their way of introducing that he's kind of ageless. Like he doesn't yeah. age compared to the Galfling. Yeah. Well, and at this point, the Galfling also, like they don't really mistrust much. They don't really have any reason to have any of those suspicious feelings, I would say, as well. Yeah, it could just since be... Agra's already involved, you know, if Agra's like, hey, he's cool, then yeah. I, could, I like... couldn't see them being yeah. like, oh! Right. <laughs> but not you. <laughs> yeah, that guy over there is not cool. Okay, Agra! <laughs> and I think the same thing kind of happened with the um, the Erskix as well, uh, in, in that way, when probably all goes like yeah you know, skeks, you know, they're cool people and um so the galfing's like all right you know if she says they're cool then you know then we'll you know yeah. 
We'll, we'll accept them, essentially. Yeah, yeah. The Elflings always strike me as being kind of naive anyway. It's almost mm-hmm. like they're a little more innocent than some of the other, you know, races that they talk about. I mean, it, it's, it varies from different cultures of Gelflings how much, but it just strikes me as they're very innocent and they're very trusting and they're very trusting of Thra and very trusting of Agra. So Agra being stunned and happy that these visitors were here, you know, they didn't think to be concerned about it. And they also, at this time, were very focused on their own culture and their own life because they talk about how, you know, how could anything change uh, his friend, Tavra, talks about how, how can anything change us our happy lives now so they don't even worry about it. At this point in the story, um, which is uh, when the first conjunction sort of happens, and 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 this is yeah the, the moment where um, she does uh, you know lose her eye in in some respect. And I guess uh, Bland, I'm I'm actually just curious about the um, uh, because I guess from my understanding, like Ronip wasn't part of, at all, you know, of, of the of the world of the Dark Crystal. So was it a bit bit of a surprise for you, I guess, initially when Ronep was sort of introduced into the story uh, with Creation Miss? You know, I kind of thought of that, and there's, I'm trying to kind of fill in the gaps for my understanding of this, and Ronep's not in the movie; he's not mentioned in the film. So, the world of the Dark Crystal is basically. Agra's her it's her version of the story so for some reason she left him out is the way I'm kind of interpreting that at the moment yeah so I think yeah whether yeah that that happens yeah with the um the following volumes um of that yeah yeah now another thing is when we, we talked about how she she her eye burned and then she kind of the, even in the illustration you see that she kind of has this burn on her forehead that kind of forms when could she remove her other eye because she doesn't do that at all in this book she doesn't remove that eye and that's like a big focus in the movie so I'm wondering if this, this is an ability that she kind of gained later on like maybe that even might have something to do with the reason why Ronip's not there. Like maybe she had to sacrifice him and gained his power. And so she's able to remove her eye. I don't know. I'm just, I'm basically making up stuff right now. <laughs> it just, there's all kinds of questions there. I like um, the symbolism of her eyes now though, because it seems to me that it's almost like they are symbols for the uh, sons. Because one of them is a dead eye that can't see. One of them is kind of a um, normal eye. And the one in the center of her forehead reminded me of the great sun. It's just an observation I had. I oh, thought yeah, that yeah. was kind of interesting. Well, and then an eyeball itself. It's if the, Within the artwork and the, of the world of the Dark Crystal and everything, There's that's the, the three suns layered up into a great conjunction is an eyeball. Mm-hmm. If you is a you know, yep. an interpretation of an eyeball. Yeah, and I think like everything sort of works in threes, where it's like um, the three eyes, the three suns. Yeah, many of many of the numbers in it are divisible by three. You know. Um, well, eighteen Urskegs. Eighteen Urskegs. There yeah. were let's see. The nine years she nine, has to go back yeah. into the world. Yeah. And that seemed pretty significant and to me. I was me. wondering about the, the nine years as well as if you look at the number of fingers that the Gelfling and Agra have, not including Agra's weird horn finger, um, their counting system would be in a different base than ours with we true, have five threes. So yeah. I was wondering about the, the nine years and whether that played into that or whether like, I don't well, know. Even just, part of the mythology nice. of the world of the Dark Crystal is that the planet was thought that it might have been a triangular type of planet mm-hmm. instead of sphere like mm-hmm. yeah yeah very interesting not to mention the logistics of gravity on a planet like that <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah let's not go into the solar system and yeah because uh yeah i do recall joe yeah that you did yeah try to you did quite a, a little bit you know a bit of research uh with the solar systems and 
stuff so yeah oh my god everybody did so much research and we all had completely different <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> different <no>. conclusions <laughs> he had like a a picture posted one time of like all of the um like mathematical equations and just all these different circles well, and no math, i promise it's not math. Yeah. a writer come on i don't know <laughs> And so I guess the, the Earthskeks, you know, they, they all appear, the, the 18 of them. And even, like, I was looking at um, with the lettering of the Earthskeks when they appear, and I was actually trying to figure out, like, I wonder if this could be, like, some kind of secret code, you know. This, this you know, letter means, you know, some other letter. But um, I haven't sort of delved into, you know, which I presume would be the Earthskeks language. Ethan, are you still with us? Yes. I think, did you do some looking into that? I, I feel like you might have posted something on the Facebook group about some of the lettering. Did you have any observations about that? I keep going all over the place with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I... But I won't. <laughs> I, I think that that the Erskek notes, musical notes, are different than what we're seeing right now. So it's my theory that they they might be singing their names. I think that lettering might be their Right next to them. Interesting. Like so do Ayakamage. Like I don't know. That's just maybe they sing their own names. That's just my theory right now. That's what I do. So. Or maybe that's their interpretation of their personal songs as they come through. Like maybe they have some kind of a the way they travel is like through sound. Well, yeah, through well to go into yeah. that. Definitely. To, to go so. into that itself, here we have, okay, so we have this planet that has this central crystal within this mountain that resonates. And we find out that all these other planets have these other crystals on them as well. This is all explained in the world of the dark crystal too. And for somehow, the way I always interpreted it is that during a great conjunction is when all of these wormholes open up between all these different worlds. And if you are able to, you know, somehow master that power or get within that light, you can travel to any other world within that kind of system of planets. Kind of like, I don't know if anyone's played Mass Effect, but kind of like the Mass Effects within all the cosmos kind of connected together, but it only opens up during a great conjunction. Yeah, and I love that. Mass Relays, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Good comparison. I just finished the third one like a week ago. So. <laughs> oh, so good. Well, <laughs> never mind. Anyway, That's off topic. Off topic. <laughs> <laughs> so we have gamers here just while we're off topic. Has anyone played <laughs> Ori in the Ori in the Blind Forest? No. I just want to totally if you like platformers, I just I'd recommend it to anyone that's a Dark Crystal fan, Ori in the Blind Forest. Look, if it's, it, if it's so, not Mega Man, I can't, you know. Because I think you've heard of that. I might actually have it, but just haven't played it yet. It's it's beautiful and the storytelling is just and and there's a lot of comparisons to the Dark Crystal. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess we'll quickly get yeah. Uh, back with our uh, uh, creation myths, so the Earthskeks, um, they all they all appear, and and then I guess one thing that was interesting is um, she describes her dream to the Earthskeks as being real. Uh, I dreamed once long ago of a light from behind the suns of strange and distant stars. I thought it was a dream, so I'm actually curious if if this was maybe the dream was actually a vision that a vision of the future that she just didn't know at the time that it could have potentially yeah that's where that's where my thought was that i lost earlier with uh with gear how he can hear the song from this erskek that's like deep within the ocean or the seas of, of thra and and he's drawn to it is that kind of the same thing as agra kind of she kind of hears their song from a distance because and and because of the crystals being interconnected is there somehow she can tune into that resonance and kind of tune into that you know and focus in on the the Erskex off in the distance that could be probably probably well even like dream fasting you know dream fasting from a distance is that you know is there a connection there yeah and also I guess the big connection is the crystal since I mean that's where the Erskex sort of uh, traveled from Um, and I think we 
get later on the concept that the sort of i guess the crystals um are sort of i don't know they i don't know whether they'd be more like sort of teleportation being able to transport to other worlds uh as long as you have a crystal in your in your home world um which yeah i was just being curious about about that um there's a spider-man comic from the 70s that actually has it it's a spider-man thor issue where there are crystals that are on all these different worlds and they're able to travel from world to world through the crystals. And I thought, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe Jim Henson or one of his kids like read that comic and that kind of <laughs> melded its way when they created the story. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and I, I think the idea that crystals, especially as far as resonation and light refraction goes, I mean, the idea that, oh, it's a magic crystal and the light is going in here and it's being projected through the suns and it's i don't know maybe all the planets were originally had the same core and when the solar system was formed so this i don't know the crystals are the same frequency and so there's i think that the idea that the crystals become activated by the alignment of three enormous bodies of light um kind of is a gimme in a, in a lot of science fiction ways for for travel. So I think it was, it's a really cool way of getting them there and also making sure that it doesn't happen very frequently. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then so if kind somebody, of if, if technology were introduced to the world, would they have been able to create a light source that was powerful enough to open the wormhole? Right. So there's a, like, well, let's, let's fast forward through 5,000 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it also begs the question of if there is a crystal on Thra and a crystal on the Erskek planet, I mean, there's a lot of potential for very interesting things because it's already been said there are other crystals in other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's certainly a possibility that maybe if you had the technology for it, you wouldn't need to wait on a conjunction. Mm -hmm. Just an idea. It's, well, it's kind of cool. I remember thinking the last time I've seen this movie so many times, as I'm sure you all have, but I was also thinking about, you know, if if we think of the crystals as a teleportation device, what happens when they're not intact, for example, after the crystal was cracked, they're all ready to go home and then the the suns line up and instead it kind of has one of the like have you seen um a Galaxy Quest where they don't have the transporter like properly configured yeah. they teleport yeah them. So, you know, it's like maybe it, like you know it, it tried to teleport them but then it didn't quite work and instead it split them apart in a philosophical way as well you know so that kind of a malfunctioning technology i mean it's a crystal there's not really a <laughs> there's not any control panels for it so well one of the things that came to my mind whenever i was thinking about this idea like is like why thraw right like why were criminals sent here is this like <laughs> is this the jail cell for the universe like I, I don't know it just maybe be like why are the criminals sent here like is this going to be a circular thing that goes on you know they have to mm -hmm. criminals come they destroy the planet they heal it criminals come again you know i don't know right when clearly the earth are from a more advanced culture as well and they can control the crystal teleportation in some way so Maybe they didn't even realize uh, Thra was inhabited. <laughs> they just kind of were right. Like, like maybe they just saw it as an underdeveloped yeah. world, and so it was <laughs> safe to send them there. Whoops! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just saying. I think it is suggested that they think of it as an underdeveloped world, and at the end, especially when Ronup overhears their conversation, how it's almost like they're trying to perfect it, and um, in this way, maybe right. some sort of penitence for the crime. Mm-hmm. So. But I mean, I, I guess we might want to save the discussion of what their crime actually is until we get to it in the story. <laughs> yeah, because I've got some thoughts about that. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I, I guess in in a way the the Erskics, when they sort of came, I guess in a way they sort of I don't know what your your thoughts, everyone, but I guess they really um, advanced uh, the Gelfling sort of evolution. You know, with um, being able to because they gave many things to the Gelflings, like culture and knowledge and enlightenment, um, tools and craft law, whether, I guess, I guess it would have been interesting whether had it, you know, if the Erskex didn't come into being, whether their, whether the evolution would have taken a lot longer, uh, compared to you know, the presence of the Erskex to sort of like, you know, we're speeding things up for you guys, you know, 
um here's everything you need to know or, or whatnot um yeah just curious about yeah your thoughts everyone yeah yeah i guess i'll go first <clears throat> well my thoughts with like a lot of what i mean I'm, I'm much more drawn to like the darkness of, of things to, to a degree so my thought is like with everything that the erskex are bringing to the gelflings or to uh agra you know i feel like they're just like parlor tricks like you know what's that over there and so they can kind of like deviantly decide and try to hash out what they're going to do now that they're here so like things like the observatory and like the orrery and like uh, the destroying of the eye for me is just all one big metaphor for like the fact that they they want her to be blinded to to what's actually going on and so it's like oh you don't need to pay attention to us anymore look we've handed you now the entire universe you can look at this all day every day so that's kind of my take on that stuff now some of it's you, you know obviously but i think it's a good way to buy off uh, gelflings and buy time to figure out how they're going to do what what they want to do. Yeah, I kind of I've thought of it as as their distraction was the observatory, the orrery. It's kind of like their distraction for Agra. To to end the the chapter, so yeah, you know they start you know building the castle and build building the orrery and and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, and, and he sort of gets to a point here where you know um, Ronip sort of visits. Uh, Tavra that you, you I mean this is probably the first time I probably get to know that you know Ronab doesn't age at all um so he's you know a bit sad of you know probably her you know her passing so how long do Gelfling live yeah I, I don't know whether that whether they um 40 50 years how long is a year on thread on thread yeah yeah solar systems <laughs> yeah not long <laughs> enough land <laughs> Not long enough, right? I couldn't take Tavra going, all right? That hurt, Bland. Why you got to bring it up? Well, in in the um, Power of the Dark Crystal, in those early notes that were released, they they actually talk about Kira being hundreds of years old. Right. So this has got to be several hundred years later. That's what I took it as, honestly, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, because I always thought, I, I, I think I always just kept thinking human years, but um, yeah, whether like, you know the events before the dark crystal the skexies and you know being uh wiping out the galfling clan so that was like you know, approximately 15 years right but who's to say a hundred a hundred years on thra isn't like you know 10 years on earth you know i don't know ethan if you if you had an attempt of you know um time time is relative to time... its interpretation and its planet well there has been plenty of um notes at least on the dark crystal website that one year on Thra is roughly equal to one year on Earth. Oh, I can't. Um, that Plus may this, have just this... been a convention to make it easier to talk about, though. Well, these stories are also written in in English. And right. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, they whatever, rhyme in English. Whatever, so. you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. other language, they're, they're written in, in Earth languages. Right. So it's, it, they'd have all of that kind of scaled out for us. It's localized, for sure. But it doesn't yeah. actually say how old the gelfling are in the book right and yeah like the the chapter ends with um uh run uh, uh having a conversation with one of the Erskex and the Erskex sort of reveals or just sort of says along the lines of you know there is something of your father in you after all which sort of becomes a bit of a shock to um to run uh the Erskex knows who his father is or like i i know um bland i, I know you had some speculation on about run uh father well, just as to whether it, 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 it's actually Algra, but then whether or not Algra is sexless or if she's considered female or just feminine in general. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, going from that. Yeah, if yeah. It was like uh, immaculate. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I've got an idea about it. If I, when uh, they say you got something in your father in you, uh, I kind of took it as a, an opportunity for the future to kind of go into that, just another story. Like what if other than the Urskex, something from somewhere else, another Thra came to Thra? And I don't know. And maybe the Urskex or, about that. But then when they, when they refer to his father, are they referring to Thra itself? And then, uh, Oh I yeah. Know, but, I'm just uh, speculating. Yeah, it could be a little, well, one of the interesting things about this scene, t about this scene to me, was like, you know, the Erskek initiates the comedy. It comes and finds Ronip, and it's like, oh, what are, what are we doing here, Erskek? It's like, you're good over there. You got your castle. 
you know what what's what's to gain here and i think like maybe they're they already know like where Ronup's headed as far as like with thoughts about them are they trying to hedge their bets against Ronup? i don't know i just thought that was really interesting it's like why why would you venture out here to visit Ronup in a moment of you know tragedy for him but well at, at this point in the story how, how how many years would you say have passed since the Erskex have come like several hundred or well, we've think already have established. To be with Tavra, but yeah, yeah. If if a Gelfling does live for several hundred years, then if Tavra is several hundred years old, then we would have to think that basically any kind of culture that's on Thra was completely shaped by the Erskex. Well, right. not completely. The Gelflings had some culture before then, but heavily influenced, though. I mean, it's fair. heavily, very heavily influenced, very heavily influenced. You already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal Well, that's all the time I have for this month's Trial by Stone. Special thanks to Bland, Nancy, Doug, Ethan, Joe, and Andrea for being guests for the roundtable, and really appreciate them being on the show. If you'd like to know more about the show, you can contact us at trialbystonepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash trialbystonepodcast, or on Twitter at trial by stone pod if you like the show and think that others too then please spread the word about the podcast or even write a review on the itunes page i hope you all enjoyed the show and come back next month for more trial by stone